All right, the rest of you are not dismissed. You're here with me. Good to see you. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to you. Um, yeah, awesome to be here. Anyone feeling bloated? A little tired from all the food? Yeah? All right. We can be honest. It's church. Um, well, listen, we had our Thanksgiving uh, last night, and uh, the reason is, we uh, many of you know this, but we uh, got a phone call, or actually an email, um, Thursday after men's group uh the week before Thanksgiving, and um, we I left two days later for Ethiopia to bring our son home. So we got Eli home, and he's in uh, he is in church. Uh, that's how it rolls in our family. You show up at church the first week, you're home with the Carlson. So um, anyway, um, thank you for your prayers. Uh, you'll get to hear a little bit about it today, uh, but I really. Um, I really leaned on, on and, and knew you guys were praying, and a lot of people have been praying about this. And uh, man, it's just, it's huge. Um, we're, we're in the middle of the series. We're, we're going to pick it back up. We're actually winding it down called Smitten. And uh, many of you have been tracking with this for a long time. But looking at the Psalms, looking at um, God revealed to us as a lover, and what is our lover like, and getting to know him better and deeper and... and uh, uh, in different kinds of ways. And of course, as you get to know uh, anyone, uh, whether that's God or someone sitting next to you right now or a spouse or something, um, what you discover is there's parts to that personality, there's parts to that person that you thought would be one way and they turned out to be a different way. And you had to adjust to say, huh, that's that's a, a, a new part of them. My mom went with me on this trip and uh, she was a trooper, man. I I just didn't, I didn't remember, I didn't think of it in certain terms. My mom's a well-traveled person, so I thought, oh, she'll be totally fine. Uh, it's physically exhausting to go do what we did, um, and being in a, a very third world country, um, the most poverty-stricken country either one of us have ever been to, um, leads to certain kinds of challenges that are just, that are just there. And, uh, as well as I know my mom, I got to know my mom better on this trip, and in a different way than, uh, than I had before on this trip. And so your, Perception of that person changes and grows as time moves on. Um, so it is with God. And so we've been looking at the Psalms and looking at these different attributes and aspects of God. And one of the things we discover about God pretty quickly, if we're honest and we're reading the scriptures honestly, is this. Unless God's made in our own image, God's going to contradict you at certain points in your walk. Right? You're going to bump up against things with the Lord where you say, huh, that's not what I would have done. That's not how I would have done it. I don't like that so much. There are what we could kind of categorize as positive traits of God and negative traits of God. Now, theologically, that's a mess, and I shouldn't be saying that from any kind of pulpit that teaches the Bible. But here's what I mean by that. You just look. There are certain things you'll hear a lot of preaching about. You'll just hear it. And actually, you can grow a ministry quite large preaching certain portions of Scripture over and over and, and saying key phrases over and over. And it really builds you up and you're like, man, that just feels good to hear that part of Scripture. There's other parts of Scripture that, if we're honest, we wish they weren't in the Bible. We have to take them, we have to take them seriously. We have to look at them and say, I guess that's what it is because it's there. But, but man, I wish that wasn't there. I wish that wasn't true. That's where God's will is rubbing up against our will. And we have a decision to make. We say, well, I'm going to be God and I'm going to assert my will over God's will. Or we're going to submit. We're going to what we just did, a surrender. We just sang that lyric. So as we talk about our lover, we've talked about things like, um, you know, our, our God is, uh, is one who speaks. Our God is one who loves. Our God is one who is all these different things. 
Um, and there's some more negative aspects to that. There are some more challenging aspects to that. And the one we're going to talk about this morning is our lover tests. Our lover tests us. What I, what I, what I realize as, as we're sitting here uh, in some chairs this morning is there's some really trivial kinds of tests going on in your life right now, stuff that you won't remember six months from now. You'll be like, what was going on the weekend after Thanksgiving? You're like, I don't know. Right now it seems like kind of a big deal. But if we're honest, it's trivial. It's going to blow away. But some of you have had some serious bombs going off in your life. Some real stress and some real struggles that are going on. And you ask yourself, or someone asks you a year from now what was going on, you'll remember very, very specifically what's going on. So that's what we have in this room. Some of you are like, man, life is just good. It's hard to remember a test right now going on. Praise God for that. But brace yourself. Take good notes. Because I promise you, if the Lord decides to let you live a little bit while longer, it's coming, right? That's just, that's just the nature of things. I am going to preach this sermon differently today than I would have preached it last week, which is when I was scheduled to give it. Um, I, it's interesting. You, you be careful what you put down as a pastor when you're preparing sermons. Because um, if you're going to teach on patience, for instance, God will give you all kinds of sermon illustration that week, I promise you, leading up to the patient sermon. This one's on testing. Okay, Now, mind you, I should have been a little wiser on this, but it's on testing. And, uh, and this last week, um, there have been some different kinds of tests. And I, think, I genuinely think God um, uh, had me go through some of the things I went through this last week even to think through this topic and think through this idea um, in a different way. Open your Bible to Psalm 106. That's where we're going to be. It's 48 verses long, so we're not going to try and tackle all of them, um, lest we be here through the end of the month. But we are going to look at the, at the chapter as a whole and kind of zero in on, on some specific parts. Here's where my week has been. Uh, in, terms of getting, uh, in terms of getting Eli and getting him home, one of the things that goes on with this happening with our daughter, and, and now it's happened with our son as well, but um, they're not the healthiest living in an orphanage. And so um, every time he uh, breathes harder than just a regular breathe out, um, lots of things come pouring out the nose. And uh, what babies tend to do is they immediately go like this, and then sometimes they shove their head into your chest and smear it around. So it's suddenly you have you know three spots that you're dealing with trying to, to do this. Um, it was a very moist week. Uh, just in many, many, many ways. Um, his, uh, his system, not to be graphic, but this is just, I mean, this is genuine. Uh, his system is not working well. And so, um, you know, most diapers were not the pleasant, sweet-smelling newborn infant diaper. Um, they were the nightmare uh, diaper, you know. And uh, we brought high-quality diapers from the U.S., which tend to do a really good job, but we ran out. So we had to buy uh, some Ethiopian uh, disposable diapers. Uh, they do not do a good job <laughs> at all. And so, um, you know, just a snapshot of this, we, uh, I, I prepped for about six outfits for a 20-plus hour flight from uh, Ethiopia to Lebanon to London to San Francisco. And, um, and on Thanksgiving Day, we were driving around Addis, the capital of Ethiopia, and, um, and he blew through one of those outfits. So now I'm down one outfit. We pull up to the airport, and um, just in, the, in the, my, my poor taxi guy, he's a Christian brother, just all over. And he's like, no problem. I'm like, no, seriously, it's a problem. <laughs> I just I apologize. <laughs> Send me the bill. Um, so now we're down two outfits. Then we get into the, uh, the airport, and... Um, 
and we have a you know a multi-hour wait in this airport, and um, and poof, number three happens. Third bomb goes off, and so I'm holding him like this, walking through the airport, you know, going to the bathroom, and I think there's going to be one of those fold-down changing tables in the bathroom. <laughs> I mean, this is where my head was at. There's no changing table. There is no place in that bathroom you want to set a living soul. So I walk back out, and we just do it right there in the walkway terminal area. And just so you know how much my head was swimming and things were going on, um, my mom's there, and she seriously, uh, it was like I was a surgeon. I'm going, scalpel, you know, stat. I'm just, I'm asking for things. And my mom's got it down by this point. She's handing me things and this, that, and the other thing. So we're there, and um, and I grabbed out a, a little onesie, Mommy Rocks. It's a cool little blue shirt, you know. I take it out. I set it on the back of... Um, five seats are sitting here in the airport. I set it on the back there, and as I'm trying to deal with him, I go to turn around, and it's not there. Now, right now, at this moment, the most precious thing I have are outfits, because we're going through them. I mean, we're already down three. We haven't gotten on the airplane yet. So I'm frantically looking around for my Mommy Rocks t-shirt. I'm going, where is this thing? So I'm rummaging through all my stuff. My mom's rummaging through her. There are four Ethiopian guys sitting on the other side benches facing that way. My gaze turns to them. And I'm like, why would these guys steal this? These guys took my onesie. So here's the picture. I mean, I'm losing it. I'm completely losing it. I'm looking under the benches like this, and I'm making a scene trying to find my onesie. i got to have my onesie. And these guys are sitting there, and all of a sudden they're looking around. They're like, what's this mad person looking at? And so uh, I decided to make it clear that if they stole my onesie, I knew about it. So I walk, literally, I walk in front of them, and I'm looking at them going, why would you do this? Why would you take my onesie? Come back around, and I'm just, so I'm like, well, we have to go, you know, so I'm, I'm, I grab for another shirt, we put that on, get them all cleaned up, heart rate comes down a little bit, shoved way down in my pocket was the onesie. Here's the Mommy Rocks shirt. In my, in my haste, I had shoved it in there, and I was going to go do this, that, and the other thing. Um, so I could go on and on, trust me. Uh, needless to say, we made it home, but... But but here's what here's what happened. Honestly, in these moments, um, there was there was some prayer and desperation and crying out to the Lord that went on. Um, when there's a child who you don't know how to really meet their needs, you don't know you haven't been with them since birth, so you don't know every nuance about them. But they're 14 months old and they're stuck on a plane again, and we're taking off again, and he does not want to be there. And there's a person's seat, you know, right here, right. Um, that there's just there's just a level of of quoting scripture and a level of prayer and desperation where you just go, Lord, it's just in the moment right now. I need you right now in this moment. And what was so cool is um, I, could, I could think back to my friends. I could think back to you guys right here and go, man, there are people praying right now for, for this flight. There have been people lifting us up as a family to get through this. And it's not like a prison sentence. I'm not being beaten for my faith. It really wasn't that big a deal. And I, and I understood that. I mean, I was being served little drinks. You know, I mean, it's not terrible. Um, now, the drinks got spilled all over the place because, you know, he's there. But, but, but it really did. It, it allowed for uh, even, even what I'm going to say this morning, I think, to be shaped in, in kind of a, a different sort of a way. Probably my biggest test, too, right now is that my body's here, but my, uh, my brain and mouth are somewhere over Greenland right now. We're still adjusting to, uh, to time zones. So I'm going to try and put some coherent thoughts together. You're going to listen politely because you're friends of mine, and we're going to look at the scriptures. Um, all right. Let me, uh, let me toss this up. Uh, think about testing. Think about why and how you are tested. Okay? 
So uh, you, could, you could look at this from a student standpoint. We have a lot of teachers in this room, and, um, and that certainly is one kind of test, probably the first kind that kind of pops into your mind. Um, but there's also runners, right, or an athlete. And an athlete is tested in a different way and by a different person. An athlete is tested by a coach. Um, there we go. I have monitors. Uh, thirdly is a soldier. And a soldier is tested by a commander of some sort. And then the illustration or the metaphor of a child, um, evidently taking a vacuum test. But, um, <laughs> but we, we test our children, right? We, 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 uh, we, we work with them. Let me hear from you a little bit um, to just say what, what kind of adjectives would you use uh, to describe the kinds of tests that, that you see on the screen here, whether it's a student or an athlete or a soldier or a child. Um, just fire off some, some adjectives of what it's like to go through that kind of, of testing. Let me hear from you. Challenging. Challenging. Painful. Tedious. Painful. Determination. What? Determination. Preparation. Preparation. Okay. Frustration. Frustration. Yeah. Defining. Defining. Yeah. Humbling. Humbling. Let me... What was that? Messy. Okay. <laughs> Amen, brother. Let me, let me turn it around now and let me say this. What about, what about the adjectives you would use to describe a teacher, a coach, a commander, or a parent? How would you describe, what are the adjectives you would use to describe, maybe not specific people in your life, but, but those general categories of people? Patient. Patient, okay. Hardworking, encouraging. Caring. Expectations. Strong. Encouraging. Confident. Okay. Supportive. Okay. Intentional. Huh. They have a reason of, of, of why they're doing it. You know what's interesting is, although you may have had a bad teacher before, you may have had a, a rough coach, you may have been through the military and said, I had some good commanders and drill sergeants and others not so much, What's interesting is the adjectives you just used to describe those who put people to the test are not these. They're not masochistic, mean, unloving, forgetful, or cruel. Those weren't the adjectives that came flowing out of your mouth with, re with regard to that. Now, in the moment, when you're under their leadership or under their tutelage, doesn't it seem at times like there are some of those things? How cruel. They gave me a test on a sunny weekend. But when you look back, especially, you can look at them and, and think that they're not that, but rather caring and involved and loving and intentional for the most part. Here's what's interesting. I think it's easy to spot this on Sunday morning in church sometimes, but Wednesday afternoon when you're driving home and commute traffic and you get a flat tire, sometimes it's challenging to, to think about testing in those moments as anything but a pain, anything but just a giant frustration to what you know, what you perceived as your happiness for the night, which is to get home out of the rain into your, you know, <laughs> slippers or whatever it is and, and kick back for, for a little bit before bed. Uh, thanks for those of you who participated for the last couple of weeks here on The City. I posted, uh, I just posted a topic about, about the, the test test and I was asking for input on some of the most interesting, difficult, memorable kinds of tests that you've had and a lot of you wrote back, a lot of our teachers wrote back, which was interesting. Um, and some of you have taken some really hard tests. Um, I, was, I was enjoying reading those and thankful that I didn't have to take some of the tests that, that you've had to take. Um, the testing that, that we're really going to talk about, although those are all uh, 
kind of get our juices flowing and get us pointed in the right direction is a, is a different level of testing. It's a testing of the soul. And it's a little bit more challenging to measure because you can't necessarily just put an 81% on it and say, here's how I'm doing with it. Uh, it's not quite that definable when you're testing the soul. G.K. Chesterton uh, said this, that the riddles of God are more satisfying than the solutions of man. And I'll just say that I think this morning might be more marveling at some of God's riddles than necessarily giving you, trying to give you all the solutions to the testing going on in your life right now. There really is a sense that when we come together as a community of faith and we say, here's the kinds of trials I'm going through, and brothers and sisters can come around you and say, man, I've been there or I've never been there, but we're with you, and to realize that and we're being tested too in some different ways, um, there's, a, there's a power in that, isn't there? And there's an encouragement in that to be with other people of faith who are, who are going through those sorts of things. I want you to turn your attention to the screen right now and, uh, and just watch this, this short video. <laughs> Now, as a cyclist and as a Christian, I appreciate that video. Um, how many of you got the right answer? Okay, now how many of you realized that didn't really matter? Right? The test, you're like, I'm going to get this. And the first time I watch this, I'm like, cool. And I'm watching like, yeah, I got it. And you just say like, how could I miss that? That's crazy. <clears throat> um, Lest you're not putting it together, let me, let me, let me fill in the, you're like, why did we watch a moonwalking bear? Here's the, here's the point. Many times tests come into our life and we're focused on this one part of it. And we, and we think we know what that's about and we think we got the right answer. We think we've kind of conquered. We think we passed the test when in reality there was something totally different going on. And, um, let me just say this, that I think to discover and to walk through uh, what these things are, what these tests are in our life, that's where community is so incredibly valuable. To have people of faith, people who love Jesus, people who are in the Word, people who are in prayer, people who are pursuing the spiritual disciplines around you that can speak truth into your life, that love you enough to say, you know, I think you're missing it. I think you think this is about this. I don't think it's about that at all. I think God's doing something really big in your life right now. And I think you could get the right answer 13 and really still still miss the, the bigger picture. Psalm 106. Um, I'm going to just read a little bit and then uh, and bounce around a little bit. But look at verse 1. Psalm 106, by the way, is a lament. And if you look at the word test um, and, why, and why it's difficult is that so many times tests lead to tears and they're just challenging. And we're in the midst of it and we go, I do not want to do this. Some of you are nervous test takers. You always were. And when you heard the little script about a number two pencil and filling in the bubble and all of that, uh, you just, it just turned your stomach. You're like, man, I hate tests. Um, some of you do great at those kinds of tests, but really get challenged in relational tests. And, um, and they can cause all kinds of frustration and, and trauma in your life. We talked about this, but the largest category of psalms, no matter how you break up, there's all kinds of different theologians that are a bunch smarter than most of us that put these into categories and all that, but almost no matter how you dissect the psalms, the largest category is the lament psalms. Psalms of crying out to God, and Psalm 106 certainly is a lament psalm. Now here's what's interesting. It's a lament psalm, but look how it's framed starting in verse 1. Praise the Lord. 
O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all His praise? Blessed are they who observe justice and do righteousness at all times. It starts with this voice of praise, of calling to mind, of giving thanks, of remembering the steadfast love and the mighty works of God. We're not going to take time to read it, but you can go back and look at it this afternoon. Verses 6 to 11 go on to basically frame us, the psalm writer, the singer of the psalms, the reader of this poem, in a right framework, in a right position. That is, that we are rebellious children and that God saves. We're the rebels and God comes in and saves. And then verse 12 is this turning point. It says that he saved them, in verse 11, and waters covered their adversaries, and not one of them was left. And verse 12 is beautiful. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. Phew! These rebellious people, all is good. Look at the very next verse. Look at 13. But they soon forgot his works. Isn't this the pattern we see in Scripture? It's easy to see the pattern in Scripture. How about your own life? How about my own life? We cry out to God in our distress, God, save me! God steps in, most often not in our timing, never in our timing, steps in and saves us. And then we believe God. Then we sing His praises. We go, Lord, how could we have doubted You? You're so good to us. We give thanks to You. And then verse 13 always shows up back in my life. Verse 13, But soon they forgot His works, and they did not wait for his counsel. And then listen, look at verse 14. But they had wanton craving in the, in the wilderness and put God to the test in the desert. He gave them what they asked, but sent a wasting disease among them. In those three little verses that we just read are where I want to camp out a little bit. There's more wandering and rebellion um, and God's this loving parent who disciplines and tests them and keeps bringing them back, keeps ushering them back into the fold, as it were. Uh, again, we're not going to take time to read it, but literally, if you just go on, mind, mind you have to turn the page and keep going and keep going. Here's what happens. Over and over, the people of God, it's almost like they took the Ten Commandments and they're like, which one are we going to pick off this time? I know, let's do idol worship. Check, so they go, you know, basically prostitute themselves. Isn't that lover language? They cheat on God. They go worship false idols. And then they go do this other thing. And, and you could read all about jealousy and discontent and disobedience and idol worship and these terrible things. And God keeps being the one who saves. God keeps being the one mighty to save and to draw them back. Now it says here in verse 14 that they put God to the test. You ever test God? You ever say, okay, God, and you put God to the test? Um, let me put this really bluntly, that God reserves the right to test and explicitly commands us not to test God. Deuteronomy 6.16 says, you shall not put the Lord, your God, to the test. This would be as foolish as, um, and some of you probably have been this foolish before. I, I know some of you have probably done this before. But a coach is on your case about not, you know, holding up a block well in football or something, 
and or not running a mile fast enough or whatever it might be. And in a moment of, of, of passion and anger, you say, well, let me see you do it, coach. Let me see you do the, the lap in that time. It would be it would be something like a, a soldier. I've got Kevin here in the back looking at me, and he would understand this and probably say, "Yeah, bad idea." But it'd be like looking at your drill sergeant and saying, "I don't want to do twenty. I don't want to drop for twenty. You drop for 20. How would that go over, Kevin? Not so good. Thumbs up, thumbs down. He's like, "No, no, no, thumbs down." They don't like that in the Marine Corps. They just don't. Um, Certainly our kids do this. Certainly teachers can attest in this room to students, I'm sure, who have, who have tried to pull that sort of a thing. New Testament language is something like this. How crazy would it be that a little piece of clay that's been made into a pot would call out to the potter to have some kind of input in his life and to, to test him? No, no, no. It always works the other way around. God always reserves the right to be the one who's doing the testing. What, what we look for in a test is this, or what we wonder about is, is why. Why is there testing? And uh, like I said, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to um, give you a false hope or, you know, say that we're going to just put it into three easy things that all start with the same letter, and we, as long as you get those notes right, you'll, you'll know all of that. But I do want to, I do want to say this, that as we look through the scriptures, as we, as we read the Bible, as we stay in the Word, as we stay in prayer, that there are, there are bits and pieces to understanding what's going on in our testing, and that's what we're hoping to uncover this morning. Look at Exodus 20.20. 20. It says, Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. So sometimes God is testing um, so that he would be feared and so that you would avoid sin. See if any of this tracks with some of the testing going on in your life right now. Here's another one. Uh, Job 7, uh, 17 to 18, he would know something about testing. What is man that you make so much of him and that you set your heart on him, visit him every morning and test him every moment? If anyone would have written that God is testing him every moment, it's a guy scraping his skin because there's boils on his body and he's trying to alleviate the pain and the frustration. He, he actually takes the testing and says, wow, the attention of the Almighty is on me, that he would test me in this way. He's not forgotten me. He's actually intentional that he would put his focus on me. Psalm 11.5 carries the same idea. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked. Psalm 66 is another one. For you, O God, have tested me. You have tried us as silver is tried, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. Because God is good, because God loves you, this testing leads to our joy. I could go on and on, but I want to settle on one last final thought, and that is the idea that God tests to know what is in our heart and mind. And we don't have time to explore all the nuances of this, but don't you think God already knows what's on our heart and mind? So it makes me wonder, as we read these passages, um, who the testing is for. The testing isn't for God's pleasure. It's not like the teacher really enjoys giving a test and then grading them. It's, it's for us. It's for us. Deuteronomy 8.2 says this, and you shall remember, that, remember the, the, the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, 
First Chronicles 29, I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in, un- in uprightness, who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. Psalm 17:3. you have tried my heart, you have visited me by night, you have tested me. In Proverbs 17:3, the crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold, and the Lord tests the heart. Knowing that God's love and care is behind our testing, is behind our tears, it eases, if nothing else, and it guards us from the self-pity and the purposelessness that you can feel sometimes when you're in the middle of a testing and a trial. It guards us from that. Um, Just for a moment, I want to turn your attention to Jesus and the way that he tested his disciples. There's a scene in John uh, that John records for us where uh, where Jesus is testing his disciples and he outright tells us he tests them. He doesn't give a whole bunch of reason to the why. I could speculate to the why. I think some of the why would be to display his glory. It might be uh, to point out the miraculous nature that, that he possesses. It might be to teach them not to lean on their own resources. It might be to view life's challenges as opportunities to trust. It might be to glorify God or all of the above. I'm not really sure. It doesn't give us explicitly the reason. But here's the scene. Most of you remember this. Jesus leaning over to Philip and just, you know, paraphrase here, but he goes, hey, quick question. Um, you know, uh, what, what do we do with all these people in terms of feeding them? And Philip is there and he's got he's to come up with an answer to Jesus. And John 6, 6 says this, he said this to test him for he himself knew what he would do. He already knew he was going to feed the 5,000. He already knew there was a boy there with a lunch. He already knew the whole scenario, and yet, before that all takes place, psst, Philip, come here. Quick question for you. And he puts it to him. What does Philip do? Philip goes to Andrew, and Andrew's like, you know, well, there's this kid with some food, but he's total Eeyore. He's like, but what, what will that do? Psst, that's nothing. You know, it's like just a few loaves and some fishes. That's not going to do anything. And then Jesus does this miracle. And it says it explicitly. He said this to test him. Jesus knew about testing from experience, didn't he? Mark 1.11 says this, A voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. That was at his baptism, right? And you know what happens next? Jesus is tested. Forty days he goes off into the wilderness He's led into the desert to be tempted by the devil. There the devil says that he'll give Jesus all the kingdoms of the world if only Jesus would bow down and worship him. And in essence, what he's saying is this. In essence, what the enemy is coming and saying to the Son of God is this in that moment. If you worship me, I'll love you. And I'll care for you. I won't treat you bad like this. I won't abandon you. And he's whispering these lies. The implication underneath that is that God must not love you because he sent you out here into the desert with nothing. And here's the reality is that the Father still tests us. The deserts are still long and hot and the enemy is still whispering those same kinds of lies to us. So that when you're in a test, you're being lied to in this way. God, Where is God in this? You ever feel that? Where is God in this? How come it's taking him so long? Surely if God loved you, if God really, really cared about you, you wouldn't be going through this. 
This kind of pain is not reserved for those whom God loves and cares for. And so all kinds of doubt and questioning goes on. The devil says things like this, I will love you and treat you great. He holds out essentially the momentary light things that don't account for much. And he says, trust me, take this. It's a lot better. Always hiding behind his back is, is um, the eternal weight of glory, right? This hope that we're waiting for, that's never seen in that moment. And so many times we are duped. The, the world is duped by taking something that is fleeting and now he nudges the questions to these deep parts of our being. Are you really loved? Aren't you being abandoned again? You're alone in this. God's not coming through this time for you. And some of you right now are in those kinds of places. Jesus does what we should do. He actually models what we should do. And that is, he runs to the bedrock of Scripture. Right? Even when Satan comes at him with Scripture, what does he do? He, he answers him with properly interpreted Scripture. And he has that... He has that in him. And it's a powerful picture for you and I in what we are to do in those things. If you want to think about the finals, the ultimate test, so to speak, um, that would be the cross. And Jesus, the Son of God, aced the test. And as you look at that test, who was the test administered to, or administered by? Wasn't that test administered by the Father? Right? Isaiah chapter 53.10, Yet... Even though this is the one whom I love, then he tests him. And then it says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. And in Mark 15, 34, we hear Jesus at the ninth hour crying with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And here's Jesus in the ultimate test, enduring it, enduring the hell of separation from God. And you know what he wails in that moment? He wails something that gave voice to his torment in that moment. This catastrophe is going off, going on in his life, and that's Psalm 22 that he's quoting from. I love that Jesus had the Psalms in his life to give voice to what crying out in, in those moments. And that's what the Psalms can be for us, is to give words to some of our torment and frustration. Sometimes tests and tears don't just give way to joy, but actually are the very thing that produced the joy. The cross is the ultimate picture of this, isn't it? The cross didn't just give way to joy. That is what produced the joy in the end. I would say the same thing with childbirth. That's another beautiful picture of that. That it's not just that they give way to it, but, but those testing and those tears and the pain and the frustration of that um, actually is what produces the joy for you and in you. Powerful to think that many left the cross, the scene at the cross that day, and they were denying God's power. They were saying, wow, where was God with this man who claimed to be the Son of God? They witnessed the most powerful, poignant uh, picture of love. And they went away with a false or wrong interpretation of that current test. And that's true in our lives as well. We can see something going on and miss what's, what's really happening. Uh, in your notes this morning, you don't have to really even write it down because I wrote it for you. I thought we'd all be a little groggy, so um, just gave it to you. Um, but I, I want to think about the idea of just testing the test. When something's going on, this, this passage we just looked at, look at verse 14 again, um, when it says that they had put God to the test. And then verse 15 says this, He gave them what they asked, but sent a wasting disease among them. Sometimes God gives us what we ask for and then tests us in the middle of that. 
Uh, one of the things that a 14-month-old will do, I discovered this last week, uh, or was reminded of, not like I didn't know this, but um, sometimes he was just so overtired and so overworked with things that um, his diaper had been changed, he'd been fed, and he was a comfortable temperature. There's really not a whole lot else you can, you know, you can do at that point. But he, he wouldn't want to be held, so you'd put him down. And what does he do the second you put him down? Yeah, he puts his arms up. Like, what are you doing putting me down? It's like, okay. Put your arm like this, pushing away. So you put him down again. Well, this is a fun game for the first two hours. But it gets old after a while. Um, strong little guy. He just keeps on going. Um, but you know what? So many times I kept seeing myself in, in this little guy. I kept seeing myself. Like God just gave me picture after picture. Dave, this is you. This is totally you. You want this? I Trust me, you don't want that. But here, okay, you can have it. I'll put you down. And then you wallow around that for a little while. And then it's like, no, I didn't want that. Lord, I'm so sorry. That was really dumb. And so you come back. And then you come back and you're not happy and content in the Father's arms. And so you squirm away and you push away. And, and, and you get released to your own devices, so to speak. And on and on, this little game goes back and forth. So I just want to say, let's, let's take a quick look at what some of the tests are. I don't think this is comprehensive by any stretch. But once again, this is where we need community to come in and walk with us and help, help us determine what is happening to me right now in this test. So sometimes a, a test is a wake-up call. Some of you doubt and lack assurance because you're not saved. And I know that sounds really harsh and people go, wow, that's who are you to judge me? I'm not the one to judge you. I just read the scriptures. God's going to judge you. But sometimes when you, when you sit there and go, man, I just really wrestle with, with, with whether I'm God's and whether I'm saved or not, and I'm just filled with so much doubt, and I'm filled with so much guilt, maybe it's because you're not saved. Maybe the testing you're going through is a wake-up call. Some of you have alarm clocks that need to just, you know, you need one that reaches out and just goes, bam, and punches you in the face to kind of wake you up because you're a deep sleeper. And some of, some of you have wake-up calls going on in your life or, or you can look back and remember, man, God used that as a wake-up call in my life. Had that not gone into my life, I, I don't know if I ever would have reached out to God. I would have kept going my own way. So I want to overlook the fact that there might be a test going on right now and that you might be struggling with doubt and struggling with assurance because you are not saved. Listen to Matthew chapter 7. Jesus saying this, On that day, he's talking about judgment day, this day that he keeps pointing to, On that day many will say to me, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? They just repeated the word Lord twice. They must be godly people. They're doing mighty, powerful things. They did it in the name of Jesus. Does this sound familiar? Here's the frightening part, verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Some of you, your stories are that you surrendered your life only after a low point. A particularly hard test that you look back and say, man, the Father was loving to administer that test to me. Had He not administered that test, I don't know where I'd be today. And that's your story. Some of you might be in that, in that place right now. Here's the second thing, a test. Sometimes a, a test is a workout. It's kind of like prepping for war. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this, In case we're ever entitled to think that becoming a Christian leads to an easy life and we're entitled to peace and safety and security the rest of our days, it says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
I hope, here's my wish for you, genuinely. I genuinely hope you are engaged in conversation and in places throughout your week on a regular basis where you are at odds with people around you. And here's why. We don't live in a culture that bends their knee to the sovereign king. We do not live in a city that in general is worshiping the Lord and seeking his way. Therefore, almost every place you go, you ought to feel somewhat like the odd person out with that. There ought to be this weird unrest. I tend to hold stress in my stomach sometimes, and so it clenches, and I get kind of a sick stomach sometimes. But there ought to be many conversations going on where, where you have this happening. Now, most of you know, I am not by nature a confrontational type person. I love to just party with people and say, hey, let's can't we all get along? Let's just hang out. That's my nature. That's what I like to do. That's me left to myself. God's redeeming that. God's changing that in such a way to say, do you love people enough? Would you love someone enough to tell them that their fly is down? Would you love them enough to say, hey, you got a chunk of cheesecake on your mouth? It's a little bizarre. Then take it a step further. Would you love them enough to say, there's a judgment day coming and you're under the wrath of God because of your lifestyle? Both by the nature of, of your sin nature and by the choices that you've made, you're under the wrath of God. Sometimes we don't, we don't do that. But in preparation for war, in preparation for a workout, God often tests. Some of you have experienced, in fact, I'd say many of you in this room have experienced what's called a dark night of the soul. I can't remember who coined that phrase, but someone did. Um, but I bet Phil knows. Milton. Milton. See? Love it. Um, a dark night of the soul. And, and, and here's what it is. Godly people suffering doubt. Godly people who've walked a long ways with the Lord, done incredible things with the Lord, and all of a sudden their, their prayers are getting about as high as the ceiling and bouncing right back and laughing in their face. Sometimes this goes on for weeks and months and even years. And you go, Lord, where are you? And you're in this dry and desert place. Abraham, Genesis 22.1, it simply says this, after these things, God tested Abraham. Was Abraham a person of faith? Yeah, he was. He was the father of nations. And yet God tested him. Here's what's kind of neat about hitting the wall. Some of you are runners or long-distance athletes, cyclists, whatever. And um, some of you have experienced the physical phenomenon called hitting the wall, Right? And uh, I'm looking at a runner here. I, I know Adam does a lot of running. And here's a prerequisite for hitting the wall. Okay? I've never run a marathon. I don't ever plan to. I'll bike a long, long ways. But don't get me running that long. I hate it. But I've heard, like I said, this isn't from experience, but I've heard, you know, a, kind of a common place to hit a wall in a marathon is around 19 miles, 20 miles, something like that. Is that roughly accurate? Some, I mean, it, it, could be, it could be different places, right? But the point is this. A runner hitting the wall, here's a prerequisite for that, is that you've been running for a really, really, really long time before you get there. And as a Christian, apply this uh, spiritually now. For you to hit a dark night of the soul like that means that you've been diving in deep to God. You've been finding bigger, bigger expanses of who God is. And to hit that wall means you've been at it for a long time. Many people like me with running have never even pushed in hard enough to ever hit a dark night of the soul. Because our faith is just kind of right up here on the surface and it's kind of there. It's a little 10% side thing that we do. Those of you who right now are in the deep throes of a dark night of the soul, you know what? Take comfort in the fact that you're going, you're going deep into a place and God's got you. 
the message to a runner who's hit the wall, if I'm driving in a car, that's all I'll ever be doing in a marathon. I'll be driving next to him, handing him water. Here's what I'd say to them. Keep going. Man, you're almost there. Press on. Look how far you've already come. Keep on going. It's going to be worth it. You can't wait to hit that tape. Finish. Finish. Keep going. So if your dark night of the soul is coming up in 2012 and you don't know it yet, that's the message to you, right? Is to keep on going. He's got you in his strong and loving hands. A quote left behind by a victim of the Holocaust written on one of the walls of a concentration camp is this, I believe in the sun even when it's not shining. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 says this, and this is Paul writing, and here's an interesting part. Again, I said there's positive and negative uh, traits to look at. Here's something you will see uh, embroidered on a pillow somewhere. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. How many have seen that on a breath mint, on a card, on something outside of their Bible before? Have you ever seen this written down or heard it quoted? Come on. You guys don't read cards very often. Okay. Yeah. They're there. And I'm not kidding about the breath mints. It's incredible. Uh, Testaments is what they were called. Beautiful. Um, Christian marketing at its best. Here's what's great about that. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Sounds so beautiful and flowy. Here's the context with which it is written. Paul writes this, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, he's been given these revelations, God's going to keep him from uh, keep him humble, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, and here it is, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Sometimes we say these little cute phrases to kind of buoy our spirits up a little bit and don't think about the bigger picture of things. Some tests that are going on right now is a workout. It's the coach saying, game day's coming, and we're going to dress in full pads, and you're going to be hit hard. You're going to be sore after today because you've got to be prepped for what's coming. A third kind of test is this, that it sometimes is correction or discipline. We all need healing and repair and alteration and improvement sometimes. In fact, ongoing, that's what we need. So the question you ought to ask when bad things are going on, when calamities are going on in your life, is this. Is this a blessing or is this part of the curse? There are some bad things that go on because we're under a curse. And the creation itself actually groans, Romans 8 says, right? So there are some bad things that are going on and and God tells us to, to, to press in on that and to fight for that. But there's other things that are going on that God is correcting us and disciplining us. When bad things go on, you ought to take pause, stop, and say, Lord, is this, is this from you? Is this correction, discipline from you? And take stock of your life. Paul prayed and pleaded for change. He prayed for deliverance. He says, three times I prayed for this, and Jesus answers him essentially with a no. My grace is sufficient for you. Deal with it. It's going to stay there. And so 
evidently he moved on. Psalm 106, uh, in, the, in the later part, if you turn your page and look at verse 41, um, it says this, God, this lover, this gracious parent, gave them into the hand of nations so that those who hated them ruled over them. This was done after the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people because of some sin that was going on. You know what that's called in modern day? It's called spanking. That's what that is. It's a really big fat spanking that hurts a lot. And there's other places in this chapter that you ought to read about where the spanking is pretty severe. We're talking the earth swallowing up people. Death happening. It gives me a picture that, man, at any moment, God rightfully as the judge could exact justice on me. And yet his wrath is stayed because of his kindness and he's holding it back. So testing can be a wake-up call, it can be a workout, it can be some kind of a correction or discipline. I'm going to invite my buddy Steve up uh, right now. And... Um, you know, if we talk about totally trusting in Jesus and we talk about our faith a bunch and if we talk, 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 A, that's not very threatening to the enemy um, and B, it doesn't require a whole bunch of change in us. Um, most of you have seen this in your life. When you take your talk and you, you combine it with your walk, you start acting on all the things you know right now. Don't, don't twirl your thumbs and go off. I only knew the will of the Lord. I'd do something. You know the will of the Lord. When you start walking in that and, and talking about it, uh, man, that's when some real trials can come. Probably a month ago, I don't know how long ago it was, but Steve, Steve let me know he'd be out here. And um, Steve and his lovely family are here, Mary and their kids, uh, from Colorado. And um, Steve and I met, I don't know, probably a year ago uh, or so for coffee. We'd, we've known each other since two years ago. See, he's got a bit of a um, I told you, my mind's in Greenland. Um, we're, we've been friends since high school. We went to the same youth group together. And... Um, and have just had hearts for ministry for a lot of years together. And two years ago, we just grabbed uh, some lunch or coffee together, and he started telling me about um, this thing God was doing of putting a, a church plant on his heart for this one community in Colorado. And, uh, man, it was so exciting. I've been following his story. We've actually prayed. You don't know it, but we've prayed for Steve before. I've, I've alluded to it in, in prayer, just uh, what God's been doing in, in your guys' uh, story. But when I heard he was coming out here, I said, man, I'd love to hear you just share a little bit uh, of, of some of the journey God's had you on. And the, the, the plan was that this was going to be about our God is merciful. And so I'm like, think of something that talks about the mercies of God. Like, that's not hard, right? And so, you know, that's easy. And so then with the change in plans and the fact that this was going to be testing, I thought, man, for a church planner trying to get something going off the ground from nothing... Surely he has a testimony about testing in him. So when I talked to him actually last night um, and, and uh, all that, he was like, yeah, I've got a testimony or two about that. So, so um, I'm going to let Steve share, uh, share a little bit about what God's been doing in your life um, with the church plan. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. Uh, you don't know this, but this, we needed this message. This is mm. encouragement. This is food for our, our souls mm. uh, in the place that we're at. Um, Two and a half years ago, uh, we were laid off from a, a church. We were associate pastors of a church, and with the downturn in the economy, uh, our position was uh, a negotiable, and so we, we found ourselves on the outs. And uh, that was a tough place to be. But a tougher place to be is deciding to start a church from scratch when you're, uh, uh, you, know, you don't have a real job. 
And uh, we felt God was calling us to do that for specific reasons. And he had planted us in this community that where we live a few years prior and uh, did not feel that God was releasing us from this community. In fact, he was saying, we want you to dive even deeper into the community where you live. And uh, so how do you do that? How do you start a church from scratch, no support, no, no nothing? And, and he says, you know, you need to be bivocational to do this. Mm-hmm. And so we set out on a journey uh, of being bivocational. It started with Home Depot, and that, let me tell you, you can't be bivocational and work at Home Depot. Um, <laughs> I mean, you can have a ministry and work at Home Depot, but you can't be bivocational mm-hmm. and support a family and, and work at Home Depot. But we... we Ended up giving, getting another job that provided for our needs, and God supported us that way. And we were able to do that and to dive in fully with, with what we're doing with our church. And uh, so God has been real faithful. Uh, but, you know, word of the wise, if you're unemployed, don't, don't look at starting a church. That's not the, that's <laughs> not the best place to start from. So, um, But I had met with Dave, I think it was October of 2009, and... We, you know, just shared my heart with him, and, and it was kind of a confirmation of, yeah, go for it. You, mm-hmm. Yeah, we're 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 behind you. We support mm-hmm. you. We love you. We, and uh, and so we set out the following year about uh, springtime to mm-hmm. start a church. So it's been about a year and a half, and it's been a struggle to start a church from nothing is a, is an absolute struggle, but it's an absolute joy at the same time. And to to see God bring a group of people together that just love being together, uh, they love opening up God's word, they love sharing what's going on in one another's lives, has been a total blessing. And so we find ourselves at a new uh, a new test. That was a test, uh, and test is starting, but we find ourselves in a position of, of being tested once again. Um, two, years, two years ago Christmas, I met a gentleman uh, at a Christmas party in our community, and Mary and I went... And we we went to this party thinking, what what a great harvest place to you know introduce our our idea of church to people. And uh, it turned out to be there was a lot of people from this one particular church and a lot of their friends. Mm. And so we it it was just an opportunity for us to get to know the host and just share our story or share our hopes with him. And and uh, I didn't know this, but he went away going, I wish we could be a part of that. And I would just went away going, that was a fun event. And uh, two years later, you know, about a month and a half ago, he gives me a call out of the blue and says, I, I don't know if you remember me. And I'm like, yeah, I remember you. And he's like, I got your number from uh, our mutual friend. And, and, I, and I said, he left a voicemail for me. And I said, uh, I called him back. I said, well, well yeah, well, you want to get together and talk church? Sure, let's get together and talk church, thinking maybe he'd be our newest member, you know, kind of thing. And... Uh, <laughs> He says, well, let me tell you why I'm calling. Uh, our senior pastor just left, and I was thinking about you. You came, to, you left an impression upon me two years ago, and I just can't shake it. And I want to sit down and talk about whether, we, whether God's calling you to be our senior pastor or God's calling us to merge these two churches or what God's calling us to do, mm-hmm. um, and can we get together. And so that's started yet another journey mm-hmm. for us of determining how God is using this in his story to reach this community. And um, it's, it's interesting. And, and, you know, when God gives us one opportunity, sometimes there's another one. And it's very difficult to distinguish which is the right path to go down. You know, you got all these little hoops to jump through, and, and God's saying, you know, look, they're all good. 
You know, if you jump through any of them, I can use it and, and use it for my glory. And, and we have an opportunity to, to be uh, full-time in a, in a marketing sales position, which would probably pay us more than we've ever been paid in our entire lives, which isn't hard ministry-wise. But, uh, um, you know, probably pay us more than we've ever been paid before and allow us to do ministry. And, you know, God, is that what you want us to do? Or is it partnering with this church and merging two churches? Or, God, do you want me just to stay where, doing what I'm doing and uh, continue pouring into this small fledgling church that you have us? And so that's the, the test that we find ourselves in the midst of. And, and I, you know, like you all, there's never easy, quick fixes to the tests that God gives us. Mm. And they take a lot of prayer and discernment and you know, meeting with wise people who support you. They know your skills. They, they love you. Uh, they can speak truth into your life. It's all those things. And so that's my encouragement to you is, hey, I'm in the midst of this test. Uh, I don't know the, the right door to choose but I know God does. I know that he could use any one of them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and God's calling us to dig deeper and dive deeper and harder into his word, into his truth, and, and in community with people that love us and support us and can speak truth in our lives. And so that's my challenge. That's, my challenge. that's you know, our challenge. And so thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Stay up here. Hey, let's, uh, let's just join hearts and, and pray for the, the, the Burford family. James 1 says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. That's what we want to do right now. Father, I just thank you for the Burfords. Thanks for this vacation, some time away to visit family, um, to hang out at the beach, uh, Lord, just to enjoy one another, to enjoy you. God, I ask that right now in this season that you would be very real and present um, in their life. I thank you for Steve's leadership of his family, of the church. I pray that, that you would have your hedge of protection, God, on this, on this family as, as they are pivotal to, uh, to what's going on in the Palmer Lake area in Colorado. I thank you, God, for the dreams and the passions you've put on Steve's heart. Thank you for his perseverance, God, that he just wants to honor you with his life that he's been willing to step out in faith. I know that's been an example and encouragement to many in that area. I pray, Father, that you would just help him to continue to, um, to seek you deeply, to trust you deeply, God, to ask without, without any wavering of doubt, God, but in complete confidence that you have a plan. You can use any one of us. You raise us up, you bring us down. And God, I pray that you would make it abundantly clear to the Burfords and to those around that uh, should a partnership be in order or... Um, things to remain as they are or a completely different thing uh, that, that would be on the horizon that you just make that clear to them in your timing. Um, God, we just pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Yeah, thanks, bro. Well, I know that uh, I know that Steve would love to have given a testimony saying that was last year and here's where it's landed and isn't God great. Um, but it's probably more poignant in a way that he's just right in the middle of it. And he doesn't know, they don't know how it's going to end. Um, and, and that's where a lot of us are at too, is, um, is that things are still more in the, in the hazy phase. I close with this, and then we're going to just spend a few more minutes uh, in song, singing together. But um, thinking through how to prepare for a test. And again, I think I just wrote these down to, to, to help you out. But you'll see the, the parallels 
the first is to study. Any good teacher in here says, yeah, studying is, uh, is imperative for this. Um, and some of you skated through high school and much of college with poor study habits. Um, the rest of us hate you. We just do. It's just a real frustration. Um, but, uh, but here's the thing. Um, when, when you're taking a test, it's kind of the, the win of, of studying. Because when you're in the middle of a test, when you're sitting down with your number two pencil, I know it's so old school, I don't know if they do that anymore, but that was my era, uh, and you're taking the test, now you can't study. Right? In the moment, in the test, you can't study. When do you study? You always study before. Now, many of you studied right before, right? All-nighters and all that kind of stuff. Denny's thanks you. Um, now it's coffee shops and whatnot, but... Um, but you always study beforehand. And, and here's the thing. As we go through even this Smitten series and we're looking at these different things of God, um, sometimes we're studying in a passage. And sometimes I'm reading a passage. I go, Lord, I, don't, I have no idea why I'm reading this today. I really don't. I've opened your word and in faith, I'm just going to read it. And I'm going to continue to study it and look at it. And sometimes it becomes crystal clear to me three hours later why God had me read that in his word that morning. That ever happened to you? That is a faith builder. You're having a conversation with someone and you realize God gave you a, a nugget of spiritual truth and you're like, why am I chewing on this? Why do I even have this? And someone walks right up and says, hey, I need this. Do you have any input? I go, yes, I do, actually. It's right here. And I go exactly to where I was reading that morning. You study before the test comes. Now, because it's life testing, you study in the midst of a test too, right? You keep running into God. But sometimes you're, you're in a different place in that moment. So studying is one way to prepare for a test. Secondly, by the way, study groups help, in, help uh, often in school and so in life. That's part of what our community groups are about. A second thing is to memorize. And memorization in school and memorization in life. What do I memorize? Let me throw out a, a couple of key passages. We went through our demanding series. I was reviewing on an airplane ride. I don't remember which one now. But in my iPhone, I've got all of our demanding memory verses. Remember every single week we had a memory verse for that? I put all those in one little note and I just review those often. I just soak in them. And um, as, far as, as far as what to memorize, here's, here's a couple of passages I, I'll just throw out to you uh, that, are, that are good to have. Romans 8.28, And we know that those who love God, uh, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. We just looked at 2 Corinthians 12, My grace is sufficient and it's made perfect in weakness. Psalm 91.11 For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with every temptation he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it or to stand up under it. That's just a sampling. As you're going through the Scriptures, and I hope you're feasting on the Word throughout the week, don't let this be your only meal. I hope that you are jotting down and saying, I need to memorize this verse. This needs to become a part of my life. Is there a shortcut for memorizing Scripture? If there is, come tell me, because I haven't found one. It just takes discipline, honestly. It takes just waking up and having discipline. I've already pointed to this, but the city has this feature under the growth tab that says, if you want to memorize a passage... You put it right here, and every day you will receive an email with that passage uh, right there in your email box. You're just going to read that every single day. You do that enough times, you're going to start to memorize it. Uh, thirdly, show up and take the test, right? 
Uh, part of it is just showing up and taking the test. I just heard a teacher laughing because she knows sometimes t- uh, students just don't do it. They play hooky that day. They're like, I'm out of here. I'm not going to take this test. Some people do that in, in relationships. Sometimes people do that with God. Sometimes people do that with their faith. They just shut down, check out, and leave. If some of you who've been, uh, who are members here or regular attenders here do not show up for a season... Here's what happens. God brings you to my mind and the minds of other people and we call you and we say, man, where have you been? How are you doing? What's going on? It is not a healthy sign to have someone be at church for about 49 weeks in a row and then not be there for six weeks. So many of you are so good about this. Hey, Dave, I'm not going to be there on Sunday. I'm off doing this, that, or the other thing. Pray for me. Good. But if you're not here for several weeks in a row, sometimes that's you playing hooky. You're just checking out from God. You're pulling away. You know what the enemy wants to do for you in that time of testing? To isolate you, pull you away, and not have you be in church. It's the worst possible thing that could go on in your life. Fourthly is this. Turn in or finish the test. Perseverance is rewarded. James chapter 1, where I just read from, says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance. And over and over and over and over and over again in Scripture, what we see is that perseverance is rewarded. The churches in Revelation, I read that on an airplane ride. And Jesus is commending, saying, be faithful to the end. You just keep on going on. You've hit a wall, great. Here's some water, keep going. Be faithful to the end. Finally is to trust the tester. Philippians 4, 6 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Here's what I realized in Ethiopia. I was driving around, and when when Eli would be having a multi-hour cry fit, And he had some great highs, tons of smiling and emotional feedback that was so fun and so rewarding. And as high as that was, he would have some scream fits that were absolutely unnerving. And as he'd be doing that, people in Ethiopia have about a three-second tolerance for a baby crying. So culturally, here's what you do. The second a child starts crying, it's, hey, woohoo! Like there's just all kinds of flurry of activity to try to get that kid to stop. And um, and there was a certain sense that, like, dude, calm your child down. And I wanted to just have a giant sign that says, I'm trying. You know, like, <laughs> I don't know what else to do. So here's what I realized. I realized that as I would be in a taxi ride driving, where before that put him to sleep and calmed him down, he was freaking out and having a lot of issues. I was just praying this passage over and over And God was answering that prayer. God was giving me a peace. I don't know if he was giving peace to anyone else, but he was giving peace to me. Um, and, And here's what I realized, though. I realized that part of my problem was I was anxious for the flight home. Well, the flight home wasn't for another day or two. So what I was doing is I was projecting, if I can't settle them down right here, and I'm frustrated that I'm in a hotel room probably bothering people in the other rooms, or I'm bothering our cab driver or whatever else, or I'm just frustrated... How's it going to be when I'm stuck on an airplane for 20 hours and he's got to be in my lap belt some of that time and just stuck there? And you know what I was doing? I was trying to, I was trying to grab manna for next week somehow. I was trying to get food and trying to live out there. And God just, God really put it on my heart and mind. My grace is sufficient for you right now. 
right now is all that it's about. You can't possibly, could, could I control that? No. I had no idea how the flight was going to go. But what I was doing is I was projecting the problems from right now, and I was kind of extrapolating it, doing some formulas in my head. If this is challenging, how's that going to be? You ever do that? That's where you just go, man, I can't go there. God hasn't, God hasn't given me grace in this moment for future problems. The what-ifs of our life, the what-ifs of your life can paralyze you, can frustrate you, can absolutely make you focus on the wrong things in the test. You're counting the number of passes and there's a moonwalking bear and you missed it. So the what-ifs of life. Ben and Laura, uh, Kirk, why don't you guys come on up. I'll just close with this one thought. That testing and tears lead us almost always in one of two directions. They lead you away from Jesus or they lead you running to Jesus. Let me say this. The Father is in control. He's the sovereign. There's nothing that goes on in all of creation that is outside of His watch. That's a massive theological reality that's very challenging when you're in a dark time. It's very challenging when a very difficult thing goes on in your life. But you hold on to that truth that God knows. And then you realize this, that this test that I'm going through, these tears that are being allowed to go on in my life right now, these are meant to drive me to Jesus. That's what they're meant for. Let me pray. Father, would you be with us in our moments of worship right now? I pray, God, that you would meet people in a powerful way that only you can, in the wisdom of your Spirit that knows how to cry out even when we don't have words for it with groanings that are too deep for words. That, Lord, you'd help us to walk in the truth of what it means to cry out to Jesus in our pain, to come to you, to run into you, Lord, and not away from you. I ask God for my friends here that they would be open and receptive to what you're doing. I pray that you would give grace and truth to those around people in trial and struggle. That they would have the love and yet the tact, God, to come alongside and walk with, with people through their pain and their hurt. Thanks for being all-sufficient and all-knowing in, uh, in giving us these tests. Lord, we trust you. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.